In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Please be seated. Today is the 13th Sunday after Trinity, and we continue in the Gospel according to St. Luke, and we are starting chapter 15. We haven't really changed scenery in that uh, we are still celebrating the Sabbath in the Pharisee's home. And you'll remember that he heals a man and that uh, there's then a question over the appropriateness of healing on the Sabbath, uh, which uh, again brings to mind what is the Sabbath for and and what is it that Jesus is teaching in this new understanding of the Sabbath. And as a way of doing that, he talks about banqueting. And he talks about the different ways in which we approach the banquet or the meal in the kingdom of God. He talks about how it is that we're supposed to be guests and how it is that we're supposed to be hosts in relationship to God our Father and to one another as we come into the kingdom of God. Now, as he's been doing this teaching, you'll see that... um, that the Pharisees are upset because this crowd is gathering about this teaching and uh, they're responding to his statement about what it takes to come into the kingdom of God. You'll remember that the last parable about banqueting talks about those that refuse to come and then those who come in from the streets. And now that we've had these from the streets come in to the banquet, we see the sinners and the tax collectors, the lowest of the low in Jesus' society, who are coming in and now are responding to this teaching. So you can see that they're identifying with those who are in the streets, the tax collectors and the, and the, um, the sinners. So they come in and they respond, and the Pharisees grumble about this. They're upset. And you can see that they're identifying with those who had made excuses, those who would naturally, it seems, be invited or be in the, uh, the interior of a group in the banqueting, and that now those who are outside, these tax collectors and sinners, are being brought in. So there's a question of who's in and who's out in relationship to the kingdom of God. And how do you become an insider? And how do you become an outsider? And so now Jesus tells three parables that talk with us about what it means to be an insider, what it means to be an outsider, and how you move from inside to outside this feast or this family or finally the kingdom of God. So these three parables are all, in a way, one parable. They're all telling the same story in different ways. We have three losts. We have the lost sheep, we have the lost coin, and then we have the lost son, commonly called the prodigal. So they're all told in succession. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And they're all telling the same story. They're all talking about one who should be in but who's out, and what work is done to bring them from being out back in. With me so far? So, what Jesus does in the parable is he immediately invites the Pharisees, those who think that they're insiders, he immediately invites them to identify with the shepherd and with the woman, and then finally with the father in the parable of the lost son. He invites them to identify because this is the person of God, right? We know that God the Father is the 
shepherd. He is the woman who lost the coin. He is the father of the lost son. And he's searching for those who are lost. So this is the first thing. He says, what man of you? So he's inviting them to identify with these. And what he's relying upon is the truth that is written upon the heart of everyone made in the image of God. So we don't have to explain truth. We don't have to explain right from wrong. We don't have to explain fair because it's written upon the heart of everyone. And so everyone is going to understand what it means to have lost something and to bring it back. They're all going to be able to identify with this. And so Jesus is relying upon that identifying. And we see that there is this rejoicing over the one that is lost rather than over the 99 that are still there. And so what Jesus is saying is the one who is lost has a a greater value for the shepherd and that he's searching and that he's active and trying to bring that one back even though 99 are in. And so he's trying to change the way that they think about those who are lost, the way that they think about tax collectors and sinners to say, we want to be searching for them. We want to be uh, wanting them to return to God with the same kind of desire that a shepherd would have over that lost sheep. We need to have the same desire over these lost, these sinners, that the shepherd has over the sheep. And then he does the same thing with the coin. He says, even though you've got nine coins still, that one that's lost is the one that activates you. The one lost coin is the one that that gives you that energy and that gives you that impulse and that uh, that you're moving forward for and that you're, uh, you're lighting the lamp and you're sweeping. You're doing all this activity over that one that is lost. So again, he's saying that the heart of God is for that one sinner who is outside of his kingdom that he desires to bring back in. Now, the sheep and the coin have roles for us to be able to identify. There are elements of the sheep and the coin that we need to be able to identify with if we're going to identify not just with the shepherd and with the woman, who we should. We should accept Jesus' invitation, right? And to say, yes, we want to be desiring those who are outside to come inside. But we also need to recognize that we too are the lost son and the lost coin and the lost sheep, right? So with the lost sheep, I think it's, it can be easy for us to identify with the lost sheep because the sheep becomes lost because of his lack of perspective, right? He's only thinking about himself and his stomach and what's right in front of him, right? Sheep are not standing up on the top of the hill with the visor on, right, and a map saying, oh, let's see, where is the good grass going to be, right? The sheep is doing this. And so this is what we do as sheep. We're looking right in front of us, right where we're at. Uh, We can't see too far, right? If all of a sudden we come upon a brown patch, we say, oh no, brown patch, doom and gloom, we're all going to die, right? And then we come across a green patch and we say, yay, green, it'll be like this forever, right? Because we don't have the perspective to see. And that's what the shepherd provides for us. He provides that perspective. And he says, this brown patch isn't all there is. This green patch isn't all there is. There's more to explore. And we may have to go through some more brown patches until we get to a green patch. You're going to have to trust me to walk through those brown patches. Right? And so the shepherd provides that, that perspective for the sheep. So we can identify with that. 
We can identify too with being the coin because the coin is cast in the image of the king. Right? The coin always has the image of the king. It's an image bearer. And this is what gives it its value. The coin has greater value than the stuff that it's made of because of the image of the king and because of its role to play in the kingdom. We too are made in the image of God. We too have value because we are made in the image of God. That gives us a greater value, not because of ourselves, not because of the stuff, not because we're a little bit of nickel or a little bit of aluminum, but because we bear the image of God. This is what gives human life value. This is why human life is more important than animal life or than property or other parts of creation, because we've been made in the image of God. And then finally, maybe it's easier even for us to identify with the lost son because he is a a son, because he's a human being, and because he has done what hopefully all of us can again identify with, and that is to say, I'm big enough to do this myself, and to demand that inheritance, to say, I can go it alone, Give give me mine, let me have power over myself. And of course you'll remember that when the lost son returns, it's the father who's standing out and he's looking for the son and rejoices over bringing him home. So these parables are challenging for us. They're challenging us to see ourselves, uh, to be able to see the world as God sees the world, to desire for those that are lost, and to identify with the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, to recognize how it is that we became lost, and to see that what is required of us, like with the lost son, is repentance, to say, "I, I can't do this by myself. I need to be within my father's house to receive his protection, to receive his mercy, to receive his, uh, his provision. And so we have to participate in that practice of repentance, first coming to the end of ourselves and saying, I can't do it by myself. This is where the the nation of Israel is. They are in that place of going away from the Lord. They're like the lost son when the lost son says, you know what? I don't need my father in his house anymore. That's where the nation of Israel is here in Exodus chapter 32. They've said, you know what? This guy Moses, (laughs) right? This guy Moses that brought us out here, we don't need him and his God anymore. And you'll notice that what the scripture says here in chapter 32 is that the people gathered themselves together. The people gathered themselves together. See, we're here because hopefully, hopefully, God gathered us together, right? This is his day. This day was not our idea, right? The first day of the week is his day. This is the day he rose from the dead. This is the day that he chose. Early in the morning, it's the time that he chose. It's his church, right? This is his worship from his scriptures. It's his sacrament, right? These are his traditions that he's brought to his church over his centuries, right? This is God gathering us together, hopefully, right? If we're doing this right, we've been gathered by God today. We're allowing ourselves to be gathered by God. We're participating as God gathers us. He's doing the gathering. You'll see here in Exodus, the people gathered themselves. Now it's their party with their ideas, with their priorities, with their God. 
So when they pick the time, when they pick the place, when they pick the traditions, it's their party and their ways and their idols, and they've rejected God by that gathering. And then we read that they say, you know this Moses that brought us out? That's where they remove themselves from the circuit of the power of God. They gather themselves and they say, Moses is the one that brought us out. See, they had been connected in the circuit of God, right? They had been receiving His grace. And then they they cut that circuit. And now they're in danger of being consumed by that power. It's just like electricity. Electricity is a great thing. If we plug the vacuum in or we plug the lamp in, we get light. We get the power to run a vacuum. But if we mistreat that electricity, we decide to lick our finger and put it in the socket, we can't say, oh, this bad electricity that so hurt us and destroyed us, right? We have to say, no, we've misused it. We haven't used that electricity properly. We can't blame electricity for that. It's our misuse of it. It can either light up our rooms and can give us power to do what we need to do, or it can kill us. It all depends on how we interact with it. It's the same with the the power of God. The power of God can illumine our hearts and minds and give us grace and strength, or it can destroy us. It's really up to us. But when they say, Moses brought us out, they've broken that circuit. And they've said, we're no longer going to accept God's grace, right? It's Moses that brought us out. And they're the ones that set up this dialogue between Moses and God. They're the ones who say, we've removed ourselves from God. And so now God says, these people, he goes along with them, right? He says, okay, they've separated themselves from me. So they've claimed that you're the one that brought them out. So this is what God says. And on the surface, it kind of reads like a father and a mother arguing over kids, right? Your kid did this, your kid did that, right? On the surface, that's the way it sounds. But the people of God brought themselves to this, right? And so God says, your people whom you brought out have corrupted themselves. They've broken that circuit. Moses is an intercessor. As one who stands between the people and God, he says, no Lord, I want to close that circuit again. I want to reconnect to you. I want you to be the one who gathers us. I want this to be your plan. I want it to be your people. Right, And so he reconnects that by saying, Oh Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people? See, he goes back to God and he says, No, these are your people. These aren't mine. This isn't my plan. Your people who you brought out with your power and your mighty hand. So do you see how he says, Back again to being the people of God? So we have a choice to be inside or outside. Once again, to be inside people or outside people. And to be inside people, we have to give God the glory to be gathered by Him, to be following His plan, to be closing His circuit with His glory. And this is exactly what St. Paul says in 1 Timothy. He says, I was once outside of God's plan. Right? He says, I was ignorant and unbelief. This is what's required. We have to say about ourselves, I was ignorant... And I was in unbelief. To say, I was outside of God's will. That's how I acted. This is requisite. It's required for Paul to then be inside. He knows that the path to being inside of God's kingdom is to say, once I was outside, due to my arrogance and my unbelief. And you'll remember that Paul was a Jew 
who was radical in his keeping of the law. And he talks about this in his other letters. He says, I was perfect under the law. I was raised under the law. I was circumcised under the law. I lived my life under the law. He has all the claims of heritage, of ethnicity, of uh, right practice. He has all these things. But he says, my belief was not right because I did not recognize God's plan to bring people from the outside into the inside. He didn't get that. He didn't get that God wants to have mercy on those who will repent and to bring them outside. He didn't recognize that God was the shepherd, that he was the woman, that he was the son who was hungering and grieving for his people. He thought that he was some kind of a a shepherd that was glad. That bad sheep. Get him out of here. Oh, these 99 are really great, you know. That sheep's a loser. Or that coin. What was it thinking? Or that son, good riddance. Hope he never comes back. See, that's the kind of God that Paul thought he was worshiping. He was ignorant. He did not understand that God loves whom he has created and that he desires all people. And this is what he finally says, right? He finally says, oh, he he has perfect patience. He came into the world to save sinners. He came into the world to save sinners. Not to rejoice over the righteous, but to gather sinners to him and to bring them in. And so he says, I had to recognize my unbelief so that I could receive mercy. Sometimes we get confused about what mercy is. Mercy requires, if we go before a judge, right, we cannot ask for mercy until we've done what? Confessed what we've done wrong. If we go and we say, you know what, I was falsely accused, give me mercy. That doesn't work. We have to say, I did what was wrong, I want your mercy. Be good to me even though I don't deserve it. Because of your love, because you are merciful. And this is what he says. He says that he might display his perfect patience. God saves us so that he can display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So God wants to love us, he wants to be merciful to us, he wants to find us on the outside So that he can bring us back in as an example for all those other lost sheep to say, look, I searched for this one. I'm searching for you too. Look, I found this one. I want to bring you in too. Look, I stood out and waited for that one. I want to bring you in too. And we as the church have to be participating. We have to be not like that older son in the lost son parable. We have to be rejoicing with our father. He wants us to stand on the ridge. He wants us to light the lamp. He wants us to sweep the floor. He wants us to go out and to search for those lost. And he wants us to rejoice with him over those that come in. Jesus says all the angels of heaven rejoice when a sinner repents. What about us? The only way to rejoice over a sinner who repents is to recognize that we too have received mercy. If we are deep, deep in the troubledness of our spirit and knowing that we are saved only because of the love of God and we are so thankful that he has saved us, then that truth will be on our faces and on our lips and in our minds when we interact with everyone that we see. Because what we will be expressing is not, you know, I'm an insider. 
but I am so grateful that the Lord searched for me and that he saved me and that he brought me back and he will bring you back too. He wants to bring you into his kingdom. He's searching for you. He's sweeping the floor for you. We all want you to come back. We all will be rejoicing when you return to the glory of God. And his glory will illumine the lamp of your heart and of your mind and to bring you grace and favor and all of the goodness that God desires for you. But we have to know that we received it and rejoice over it to offer it to others. It has to be a gift that we've been given that we still celebrate. That we still celebrate day in and day out knowing that God gathered us together. Those Pharisees thought that the Lord was still looking for animal sacrifice. They were wrong. And the Lord says they should have known it. The psalmist, hundreds of years before, almost a thousand years before, writes what? The sacrifice of God is bulls and rams? No. The sacrifice of God is what? A troubled spirit. This is the sacrifice that we offer to God. This is what we're bringing before His altar today. We're not bringing anything but a troubled spirit. Anything but a hunger to be rejoined to His grace and to receive His mercy. A broken and a contrite heart, O God, you shall not despise. He will not despise this gift. He will not turn it away. He will accept it, and He will remake us, and He will invite us in, and we will be lamps and examples to those that are in our neighborhoods, and in our communities, and our workplaces, so that we too might participate in searching for them and hungering for their return to the banqueting hall of Almighty God.